chapter 6 today, which is a fairly famous chapter. This is a vision that Isaiah has of God. Um, one of the gospel writers, I think it's John, actually talks about this moment. And it's when he's quoting um, a section in this chapter where he's talking about their senses are dulled, their ears are, are stopped up, and their eyes are closed. And he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw God's glory, right? And he's talking about this vision. So that's, that's the chapter that we're in today. So um, most of you have been here for most of this study. Um, uh, I think we've had a pretty consistent crowd each, each study. So um, just, just throw some stuff out there to, to get the ball rolling. What has, what has Isaiah been about so far? Just big picture. What has the book been about? Judgment. Judgment. In a word, that sums up most of it right there. Judgment on who? Israel. Israel. Judah. So far, it's been mostly at God's people. Mostly. Yeah, that will change as the book goes on. Um, these uh, chapters are loosely grouped in chunks, and the chunks usually end with a song of some kind. So we had like chapters 1 through 5 with the song of the vineyard at the end. Then there's this break. Chapter 6 is something completely different. It's like a step back from the rest of the visions, which is how the Holy of Holies is, by the way. It's like otherworldly. It's outside. So when you have a Holy of Holies moment, you know, a sanctuary moment, it stands outside. Then Isaiah is sent back out. He has to go say a bunch of other stuff. Um, and at some point, it transitions to preaching against Babylon, preaching against Assyria. Um, yeah, but, but so far, it's been the people of God. What else? I mean, is there more we can say about big picture, what Isaiah has been about so far? There's been some hope in there. I mean, it hasn't been all bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the midst of the judgment, he keeps talking about the seed. Even in chapter 1, he talks about the seed, the remnant. Hebrews sometimes translates it the remnant, but literally, well, let me say that again. English, trying to help us out translating the Hebrew, sometimes translated as remnant, but in Hebrew, it's literally the seed. Um, the arrival of God is inevitable. And you can't stop it. It will either be, when it happens, a moment of salvation and glory and ecstasy. Or it will be an experience of hell. It will be one or the other. You know, and we have these images all throughout scripture of God's arrival. And two different versions of what it can be like. Um, we just got through the season of Advent. And that is... That's what the season of Advent is about, is preparing your heart for the inevitability of God's arrival. Um, it is, it's always symbolized by fire, whether judgment or salvation. You know, it's, either, it's either the fire of Pentecost, 
or it's uh, the other fire. Um, Hebrews said our God is a consuming fire. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then, uh, well, I mean, we could just go down the list. Song of Solomon talks about the very flame of Yahweh. Yes. You know, and that is the, the intimacy of God and his people, right? That's the Holy of Holies. That is the, that is the permanent fire at the center of the sanctuary in God's presence. You know that um, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a real thing or not, but it's so interesting to me that tradi- that it's incorporated into the tradition. Really, it doesn't even matter to me whether this is real. It matters that symbolically this just happened. That um, at the at the place where traditionally uh, Christ was buried, the empty tomb, um, there is every year just a spontaneous fire that happens. Mm-hmm. That um, and it, you know, that supposedly I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of digging into this, but supposedly there are accounts of people putting their hand in the fire and not being burned. This is just a yearly miracle that supposedly happens every year. I don't know if it's true or not. I haven't been there, but but the fact that like the fact that that became a part of the Orthodox tradition matters for what we're talking about because it's a fire at the place where. You experience God, right? At the um, it's a potter. You gotta have fire there to make pottery. I guess. Uh, I guess. That's the presence of God in your life. Is the refining fire? That is what refines you. Is being molded into what the image of Christ being, you know, in his presence is actually what changes you. Yeah, right, right. Well, we're about to see that that's how this pattern works, right? You're bared before God, and then you're either covered or you're judged, and then, you know, you're changed going forward. Moses, his face is shining when he leaves God's presence. Um, So there is a transformation that happens there. There's, I mean, there's so much we can get into. Um, as I said a minute ago, the, the Holy of Holies moment is a step outside of the rest of the story. And um, I apologize in advance for, um, for how like symbolically minded this, this, this hour is going to be. Because um, there's not a whole lot I can say practically about this chapter. But I, wanna, I want to use this as an opportunity to... Um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the rest of the book, right? So this, this chapter really shows for me how Isaiah works big picture, how scripture works big picture. And if we can see that pattern, right, then you can't unsee it, right? And you'll see it for the whole rest of our year in Isaiah. So that's kind of what I want to accomplish with this, with this hour, is just look big picture at some of these symbols in scripture and some of the patterns. And it's not just metaphors. These are things that we actually participate in and live in, and we'll talk about that. So there is some practicality to it. But um, I apologize in advance that this seems kind of abstract. Um, the next two weeks, um, chapters 7 and 8, will be a lot more interactive. I'll open it up for discussion a lot more. There's going to be times in this next hour where I just have to ramble for a while because it's hard for me to to articulate it all. I kind of need the space to, to mm-hmm. just kind of talk free form. So, 
Um, I'll try to remember, we're, we're sort of divided into three sections in this chapter, and I'll try to remember at the end of each section to open it up for thoughts and to kind of um, have you all help tie it all together. Say this about I've done tons of stuff on symbols. Yeah. The symbol basically it has, it has meaning in and of itself. Okay, so it's thing, will thing, but at the same time then it has extra meaning, other meaning beyond itself. That's kind of that's kind of the definition of what a symbol is. It's you know, so so I see a door and I know that door is a real door, you know, so what that door symbolizes Jesus, whatever it might be. So yeah so the way we live this stuff out is is in the fact that it scales right so one thing refers to another thing but it's not like this referring to this it's like concentric circles yes. so like a symbol in scripture would be, and this is just one example because it shows up in Isaiah, would be the head and the body. Right? That's a symbol. That shows up in, in you as an individual. There's a head and the body of you. There's the head and the body of you two, which is scaled up a little bit, right? But it's still the head and the body. There's the head and the body of a community. There's the head and the body of Christ in the church. There's the head and the body of the organization that I work for. There's a leader, and then there's, like, you know, I'm part of the body that lives it out. So that's a way that this symbol sort of plays out on multiple scales yes. of reality. Um, that's why they can be interpreted in different ways. You see yeah. All kinds of different right. And um, we'll go ahead. Well, in stuff, in, in spiritual stuff, it doesn't really lend itself to linear thinking either. Which right. Is another thing that makes it difficult for us. Right. Right. It's very much, and you've already said this, it's very much spatial thinking. Yes. So, you know, to get inside the circles <laughs> and be able to look. 360 right. all around. Right. It's not really the circles, it's globes. You kind of just have to start somewhere and then just follow it around. You yeah. can't, there's no really clear place to if you begin. If you look at a soap bubble, there, there might be a little bubble yeah. on, on its surface and it's just kind of floating around the, the sphere. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, can do it. that's a good analogy. That's a good way of thinking spiritually. So that's, that's a perfect segue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as a springboard. Um, I'm going to throw out some, some Holy of Holies moments in Scripture, just sort of highlighting the same pattern over and over. And then, you know, maybe one of these will be particularly, will be, you know, one that particularly stands out to you that you can sort of, okay, now I see the pattern. Now it, now it clicks. And then, like I said, once you see it, you're not going to be able to unsee it. Um, let's start with Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve uh, are in the sanctuary. Um, after they after they eat the forbidden fruit um, God shows up right and that was an inevitability like I talked about um, there is judgment there's a covering and then they're sent out into the world Okay. Uh, 
jump ahead to Moses has a experience of God. Um, there is uh, judgment to be pronounced, uh, but Moses is covered. The judgment is not against Moses. Um, Moses experiences the judgment. It says the Lord's anger was kindled, mm-hmm. but Moses is covered. Um, and then he's sent out. And he's sent out to speak to a hard heart. And he is told up front, they're not going to hear what you have to say. Okay, you see how um, you see how Isaiah is built off this 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 burning bush moment is what we're about to read in Isaiah. Um, I have one that that maybe might be a little uh, unexpected, and that's from John twenty one. So, who volunteered to read that? Could you start in verses verse nine and just kind of sort of continue through verse nineteen? they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. You just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged them in ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. <clears throat> Even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, (coughs) son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Well, it's hard to turn these little pages. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Do you see the? Uh, do you see how this is a, a holy of holies moment? Uh, there's no the, the little little details in scripture are never arbitrary, right? And he, he goes out of the way to say it's a fire with burning coals. Yeah. That's he he puts that in specifically for a reason, right? That's it's supposed to make you think of an altar, right? We're going to see a burning coal in Isaiah six. Um, uh, it's a fire with coals. It's a coal fire. That's significant. Um, it's fish. That's significant. 
Um, Christian tradition has always, from the very beginning, for whatever reason, has always associated fish with Christian communion and, by extension, the Eucharist. Right? So that is... Um, the, the fish is just sort of this weird symbol that's always been there through Christian history. And whenever it's there, they always, they always make that association. So you have, um, you have an altar, you have a, a fire, you have the presence of God, you have the bodily resurrected Christ there. Um, you, have, um, you have a man standing in God's presence who knows he's unworthy to be standing there. We're going to see that in Isaiah. Woe is me. I should not be here. Um, um, and, then, uh, and then there's a, there's a covering. And the covering is, is in Christ saying how Peter's going to die. It's a sacrificial covering. Right? He tells him the way in which he will, I think it says, glorify God. Um, will be the way in which he the way in which he dies. Um, Peter's life is going to be a sacrifice. Right? And it's not Peter covering himself. Yeah. It's Christ covering Peter by wrapping him up in with the sacrifice. Peter gets crucified along with Jesus. Uh, does that make sense? He's giving him the high privilege of being a martyr. He's giving him the high privilege of being a martyr. Um, yes, he is. But he uses a he uses an analogy of clothing to talk about it, yeah, um, right? So there is, so so we're fulfilling the pattern that we've seen throughout. Um, He's verifying his calling as well too. He's got some of them covering me to let to kind of say, look, these are, this is what you're going to be doing, feeding my sheep, taking care of my sheep. You know, so. And that's the last part is feeding the flock. That's exactly what Moses was called to do at the burning bush. He was called to go out and tend the flock. Isaiah is called to go out and tend the flock. Um, and the fish and loaves is a replay of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, there was bread there too, wasn't there? Yeah. Was how yeah. Jesus or John transitions into yeah. Jesus being a kind of a, a, a fulfillment or better version of Moses. Yeah. With the manna, with all the talk about the manna and the bread of wine. One of the first so, times. I mean, it's that's another way. It's similar to the burning bushes, mm. and and they both are told to be shepherds. I think, if I remember correctly, although I'm going off of memory, so I I may be wrong, but I think when Moses is talking with God at the burning bush, they have sort of like there's three sections to their conversation, like there's three objections, and God answers them three yeah, times. Yeah. I, I I could be wrong, but. Um, yeah, well, there's another comparison. The, you know, feed yeah. my lambs three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you had well, something. I was going to say, one of the first times I ever noticed that pattern, pattern, what you're talking about, um, is there's a, you see that too with uh, um, the, the appearance of Christ to those two guys on the road to Emmaus in Acts, or maybe it was the end of Luke. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was in Acts. Um, and uh, the end of, it's the end of Luke. There. You have, yeah. you, they sit down, they have a meal, and there's, talks about the fire in their heart was kindled and all that, you know, the fire in their heart. They felt a burning in their heart or something like that about it. So there's the fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their eyes are opened, right. which is like the garden. Yeah, yeah. 
So you have those same, yeah. the same thing going on yeah. too. And then there's a commission. There's always a sending out. Yeah. Here, this is important. You don't get to stay in the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. You don't get to stay. Right? So for those of you, and, and I'm guilty of this too. We, we all have experienced this. Uh, you want to chase that moment. The mystics warned against this over and over and over. Sacrament of the present moment talks about this. You don't, you don't live your life chasing these mountaintop experiences with God. They happen to you every now and then, but they're not part of the story. They're outside the story, mm. right? You have six days of work and you have one day of Sabbath. That's, That's the pattern, right? And so this one day, you spend your whole life chasing the Sabbath. It, that's not a very fulfilling way to live, right? Because then it's over. The work is what you're here on earth for. That's the commission. That's the feeding the flock, right? You, I'm sorry. Well, the Sabbath exists just to refresh you up so you can go back out into the world again. Right. It's, yeah. So. There, there's a fulfillment of this John 21 at the end there when he's talking about Peter's death. There's a fulfillment in Acts where they are judged by the uh, Jewish officials. Uh, you know, they're beaten and, and they're sent out to never speak the name of Jesus again. <laughs> and, and then they, they rejoice that they're worthy to suffer for his name. Right, so, right. So it's like they, they understand and they embrace their martyrdom at that point, at that moment. Um, trying to think if there's anything else before we get into Isaiah 6. The Holy of Holies is a Sabbath experience. And we ritually practice this every week on Sundays. Um, you come, you're gathered into the sanctuary, um, which we know we can worship God anywhere. We know that. But there's something about coming to a particular place that is set up for this experience. Everything in the architecture is designed to, for us to ritually practice this stuff. Is it where we come to present ourselves before the Lord? So there's the uncovering of your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. That's confession, right? You bear yourself before God. That's uh, being uh, naked in the garden. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a ritual covering in the absolution. Actually, we have covering in multiple ways in the service, but at least it's in the absolution. Uh, we're ritually covered uh, in the Eucharist because that's a, that's a fulfillment of Passover, which that's the blood on the doorpost. There's covering there. Um, and then there's a commission, right? And the commission is just as much a part of it. Like, you don't get to stay in church. You have to be sent out into the world. Um, there's a planting of the seed. There's the, the, the word is put within you. Before you go out, because you have to go out and take the word with you, which I think if we have time, we'll we'll talk about that again. Um, All right, let's get into Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple didn't just fill the Holy of Holies. It spilled out throughout the whole temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
the whole earth is full of his glory. I think this is the only place in these visions, and there's multiple visions of like God in the Holy of Holies. There's one in Daniel, there's one in Ezekiel, there's one in Revelation. I think this is the only one that talks about seraphim. I think every other time it's cherubim. Um, I don't know why that's the case here. It's got to be significant. Like I said, this stuff is not arbitrary. So I can tell you that a seraphim is a, is a flying, fiery serpent. It's a dragon for all intents and purposes. So there's two dragons on either side of God in this vision. Um, the only thing I can think of, well, there's two things I can think of. One, a dragon is important in uh, Babylonian mythology. So God is saying, no, this is mine. Um, mm-hmm. Two, there was a dragon in the garden. That's what I'm thinking. And there was fire. That, you know, the, the angels had fire with them. There's a fiery sword and all this that you have. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, the seraph on the pole. The seraph on the pole. Yeah, the snake on the pole. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, uh, with two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So that's sort of one-third of the chapter. That's one section is just the vision itself, what he saw and what he experienced. It is an extra-sensory experience, like his senses are overwhelmed. You've been in a a house full of smoke, it's overpowering. Um, This happened to me once... uh, um, I was uh, building a, a fire in the fireplace and I forgot to open the flue. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was at our house, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> it's overpowering. It overpowers your senses. Wow. Um, so for him to even reference smoke is, is talking about fire. It's talking, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the foundations of the threshold shook, so his, you know, the the sound. It's like being in a, a rock concert arena. That was your dad coming downstairs. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I said the same thing he said. I said, "Woe is me." Uh, <laughs> all right. So he saw the Lord sitting. He heard a voice. Well, you know, the voice here could be. I think it says it's the angels, but he sees he sees God sitting. Um, pretty much any time we're talking about God, let me say like ninety percent of the time we're talking about God, it's it's going to be God the Son. It's very hard for us actually to talk about God the Father. That's actually pretty difficult to yeah. do because God the Father is, is is God beyond being. He's, yeah. He's invisible. He's beyond being. Right. All things were made through Christ. That means anything that we can talk about any. Any symbol, any reference, any way that we can talk about God, we, you have to go through the Son <laughs> to talk about Him. And in fact, Scripture says that. You, no one has seen God. You only experience God the Father through God the Son. So, so this is a theophany. This is, this is seeing Christ in glory. That's what this is. Very good. Um, Anytime God's got a body and He's like sitting on something material, yeah. that's God the Son. Right, right. Um, you see God walking in the Garden of Eden. Well, if you're going to walk, you have to have a body to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God speaking. That's 
the, 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 the church fathers were all in agreement very early on in the story that, that in Genesis, when God is talking, that's, that's God the Son. You know, all things were made through Christ. Um, so this is an experience of Christ in glory. And he's sitting on a throne. Uh, that's significant. He's not lying down. So he's not passive, but he's also not standing as though like serving or being in attendance. He's, he's sitting. It's, uh, he is, it's, it's an active ruling, mm-hmm. right? But he's also resting at the same time yeah. because yeah. he's in his temple. He's at, he's in, he's, yeah. This is the Sabbath rest. This is what Sabbath rest looks like. You're sitting on the throne. God doesn't have to exert himself yeah. to rule. Right, right. But nor is he asleep. He's secure in his kingdom. You know, this is the attitude of ruling. And the, and the dragons uh, who are worshipped by the world are attending to him. Yeah, they're yeah. dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is the covering in the pattern of being in the Holy of Holies. Um... Isaiah is ritually covered through a burning. Uh, his mouth is burned. Um, and I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Um, I'll open it up for if anybody has anything. But I will say real quick that um, the Orthodox link this passage liturgically. You know how we have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. They, they connect this passage with uh, the presentation of the Lord to uh, Simon or Simeon, whatever his name was, uh, in the temple. It was in the temple. He sees, he has a vision of the infant Christ. And he says, now your servant can depart. Commission, be sent out in peace. For my eyes have seen. It's the exact same thing that Isaiah says here. Uh, my eyes have seen your glory. Wow. The King, the Lord of hosts. Um, now in his case uh, that's a great moment of great joy not so much here for Isaiah uh, woe is me I am lost for my eyes have seen the king yeah, a lot of people saw the Lord in his humility yeah. yes yes uh, this is God in his glory now yeah. the good news for us is that uh, John says uh, we will see him because we will be like him so it's and not, he even it says... Won't, it won't be a terrifying thing at that point. In, in that verse, I think he says, uh, I, I, I don't even know what that's going to be like. Like he said, yeah. I, I just know that... We don't know what it would yeah. be like. But yeah. we'll be like him. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. And it is mysterious. Christ in resurrected body, it's a very mysterious thing. He is... It's, it is his body. They know it's him, but and yet he's somehow unrecognizable at the same time. So there's a very mysterious nature to this. We don't know what it'll be like, but we know we'll be like him. He has unusual properties in his body. There's something different. Yeah. It is him. It's still his body. It's not even necessarily, it's not a different body. No, it's flesh and it's, it is, it's his body, but it's different. But it's, it's different. different. Yeah. It's a new creation. It's a new creation. It's a glorified body. It's the body of the body. But different. So, so the next section 
of this chapter will be the commission. But does anybody have anything else on this? One thing to say about yeah. others that go to live. People use, I think, misuse this verse about he will heap coals and fire on their head, you know, so and we think of that as kind of being a bad thing. <clears throat> but in a sense, if you really get into it, look at it, it's really a good thing. It's heaping coals of fire that are cleansing, that are covering, that are, that are allowing people to learn what they've done and how to get out of it. And so that, that's, what, that's what that verse actually means. It doesn't mean, oh, God, we're going to put fire on our head and burn up our enemies and stuff like that. So it's an image. It's an it's an image of sacrifice because the sacrifice is put on the altar to be burned. So when the seraph, when the seraph puts the coal on Isaiah, he's saying, "You you are the sacrifice." It's the same. It's the exact same thing as God telling Peter the way in which he will die. It's it's he's he says, "You are the sacrifice now. You will be sacrificed to my service." Um, and we saw that in the garden with the animal being slaughtered and, and covering Adam and Eve. Um, I think we see this somewhat with Moses and circumcision. I think there's a connection between circumcision and, and covering, but I'm still sort of working that out. Well, I, I don't want to say too much about that In the that New yet. Testament, I think it's in Hebrews, the phrase is used of living sacrifice, that we're living sacrifice. There you go. Okay, oh, well, let's point out the fact that uh, the angel gives, he brings a, a, a living coal. It's a live coal. Uh-huh. He goes out of his way to, uh-huh. to say that the coal is, is living alive. So there's yeah. exactly. clearly a purging. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah identifies his sin, and that's what the seraphim addresses, yeah. his lips. So it's, I mean, it's clearly purging. Uh, as far as circumcision goes, that goes back to Abraham. So probably, well, Moses... thinking it through... Uh, goes back to Abraham. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the first thing that Moses does when he leaves the presence of God is he and his family yeah, are circumcised. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's something there. It's a kind of garment of skin. So mm-hmm. there's something there. I have one. like the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood. Yeah. The shedding of blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it is wrapped up in the image of sacrifice. It's best to do it when you're young, too. <laughs> yeah. When you're eight days old. I had one well, thing. I had one thing on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on this first part in the verses 1 through 6, the famous, you know, the famous part and all that, I had a one thought, it's just a thought, that before we get to chapter 6 here, and ch- basically in chapters 1 through 5, uh, Isaiah is reading the riot act to Judah. I mean, rightly so. I mean, they're rats. I mean, they're engaged in all this sin and they're displeasing God. On and on it goes. But it, I'm just throwing this out. And, and these passages in six one, it seems to me that Isaiah may be promoted from second class prophet to first class prophet. <laughs> and he's promoted by recognizing that he's a rat too, just like the rest of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah. yeah. Any time you pronounce judgment, you, you need to say, use the word <laughs> You need to be careful of it. 
So uh, we're, we're about to see a negative example of this in chapter 7. When the, uh, the giving of the sign of Emmanuel, God tells, uh, God tells the king to ask for a sign. I'm kind of, I'm kind of jumping ahead and, and spoiling it, but it, it's connected with what you're saying. Um, he's asking for the king to ask him for a sign. He's asking for the king to acknowledge his doubt. He's saying, like, ask me for assurance. You know, at, you know, bear your heart before me. Acknowledge your humility. Uh, admit to yourself and to me that you're doubtful of me, that you're fearful, that you don't think I'm going to do this. You know, I, you don't you don't think I'm going to do this. Ask me for a sign. And he doesn't do it. He refuses to acknowledge his doubt he's and super, his fear. He's super spiritual. He's super spiritual. It's a false piety. Yes. It's a no, false religious false piety. piety. There you go. Which is the same thing that he was railing against in the first few chapters of Isaiah. Is this false religious piety. Yeah. And so he said, all right, I'll give you the sign. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like it. Here's something you never would have thought of. It's going to be my arrival. That's going to be your sign. Um, so that's a negative example of what you were just talking about. He, he acknowledges his own inadequacy, his own uh, guilt, his, you know, the, the evil inside him, his, uh, his heart that is uh, desperately in need of cleansing. Yeah. And then in an act of, uh, of incalculable grace and mercy, he is ritually covered. Yes. Isaiah wasn't even supposed to be there. Only the high priest is supposed to go in. He's not the high priest. That's what I was thinking. How did he like get away with that? You know, uh, for him to be given this vision and to be then sent out to proclaim this vision, uh, that in itself is uh, is a sign that this is going to be for all people. This is, you know, this is not just for the high priest. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 reading into it, but. That's how I take it, uh, because no, he's he's not part of the. There's no reason for him to oh, be so here. He's literally in the holy of holies. Uh, either way, either way. Well, there's no throne in the holy of holies, but there is the mercy seat. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think I don't seat. think we're gonna get very far asking if this is happening on earth or in heaven because I mean the holy of holies is like the place where those two things touch so mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah. uh, you know it's. Yeah. yeah, I. I the Avengers more visionary. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, either way, he's not supposed to be there. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter whether it's vision or whether it's reality. It's a real place. Because it's part of the symbolism as well. Right? He was torn up in either case. Doesn't really. Doesn't really <laughs> the fact, if you have a vision from God, you're in the presence of God. We tend to think of. Uh, we tend to think of the lower stuff as being the most real. Not yeah. But but remember when I talked about head and the body? Like reality is when those two things are together. I know that's really abstract and I can't I don't have a better way to say it. But like when when the body and the head are, are when heaven and earth are are touching, that's the most real. So it doesn't really matter whether this was a vision or whether it was a I mean, it was a vision. It says it's a vision. But he was in the Holy of Holies also. I mean, this he is... He was in the presence of God. He is, he, is, he is deep in this pattern 
right? Of, of, of he's deep in this burning bush moment. And, and, um, yeah, we know from Hebrews yeah. that the tabernacle was just a copy of the real thing. Sure, yeah. So, there you go. Isaiah's seeing the real thing here. He's seeing the real he's, thing. And he's seeing God in his awesome glory. And he was not destroyed. And he was not destroyed. <laughs> so, it's all a matter of grace. Yes, yes, it is grace. It is all grace, this whole thing. Yeah. Um, Sure. That's the same thing that happens in Exodus, I want to say, 24, when the elders go up to the mountain. The writer of Exodus remarks that they were not destroyed because <laughs> they saw God and they ate with him. They had a meal. They had a meal with him. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, it says that you know, when he touched, he said, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Yeah. That's one of you speak on that. It's not just taking away your guilt, but there's something. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Is there something you had that you... No, I, I, yeah. not necessarily, but it's just, it's, it's, it's like the next step. It's not just, you know, it's, you know, it's one thing to have your guilt taken away. My guilt is taken away. I'm still, I'm still worthless. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still... It doesn't really matter how you feel about it. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just so, objective now, reality. Now, not only is your guilt taken away, but you are also so cleansed so washed over, so covered that you are one with God. You are. And that's, that's the definition of atonement. I, I can't say that there were two different categories of sacrifice in the Old Testament. There's guilt offering and sin offering. Those were separate offerings. He's kind of doing both in one here. So, yeah, yeah basically the work of Christ is applied yeah. retrospectively. Yeah. Anticipation yeah, yeah, of the yeah, work yeah. of Christ yeah. is applied to Isaiah. Yeah. He's brought into all that covenant of grace. And Isaiah himself is brought into it by being sacrificed, by being a what? sacrifice, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. to Christ. Yeah. Not just to God, to Christ. Yeah. I will say something. It's interesting. I just heard someone speaking about this that when you, like, for the sin offering, when you brought, when you brought a lamb for the sin offering, the sin offering is is a lamb that's unblemished. So the offering you bring is what's unblemished, not you. Wow. You're blemished. But your offering is not. And that's that sin offering is what cleanses yourself. And it's kind of neat to think about that. You know, the, the, uh, the sin offering is perfect. It's unblemished, as clean as it can be. But it's the offering is Christ. It's Christ. Do you guys have any notion of why his lips in particular are touched? Because he says he's a man of unclean lips. But like, but, but like why lips? Like because his speech is not perfect. His speech is not perfect. That's the last, that's the last frontier of sanctification. That's why nobody will ever be perfect on this earth. We can't, we can't control what, it. We not, can't control our tongue. In, it's not what goes in a man that comes out. It's what yeah. comes it's out. It's what comes out of the heart, through the lips. No That's one can ever control the tongue perfectly. It's, it's, not, it's not possible. I think it also has to do with worship, too. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. You, yeah. you worship with your whole being, but you worship through your mouth. 
It all comes out through your mouth. Oh, for a thousand tongues to say. Oh, there you go. There you go. The language is incredibly powerful. The words that we speak. Oh, very much so. Very much so. All of us have had words come out of our mouth. Once they come out, they're out there. And you wish you could recall it, but you can't. Right. You can't. You can't bring them back into your mouth. You cannot. That's good. Listen to that verse that says, "Out of the mouth comes both the good, the cursing, and the, and the blessing." Blessings and cursing. James says, "My brothers, these things ought not to be." <laughs> and it does it not have something to do with him being a, a prophet? Prophet, I think that's speak. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's his. Yeah. 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 Because God wanted him there, so he could speak. You know, he would see what he needed to speak. Yes. For, you know, so yeah, sixty more much. chapters. You got to. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start. Be, you got to start somewhere. You, know? you got to be loaded for bad. We're going to be in Isaiah for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, a long journey. We just getting started. Yeah, just getting started. We're not even a tenth of the way done. <laughs> All right, so let's look at this last section real quick. Um, I want to do it through the New Testament. So whoever had Matthew 13, read 3 through 17. But he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the... Uh, sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and, not, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, in your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We'll save, uh, we'll save verses 11 through 13 of Isaiah 6 for next week. I want to just focus on that part that's quoted. That's the first part of the commission. Go and say to this people, and that's what Christ just quoted. Um, 
the parable of the seed. And God tells several versions of this parable. He tells multiple parables of the kingdom that involve the seed being sown. In fact, he tells several just in this chapter. He just goes through a list of different, different ways of saying the same thing. And they're all microcosms of the whole book of Isaiah, right? The, this parable of the seed is Isaiah summarized in one beautifully compact parable. It's a seed. The parable itself is a seed. It's the whole book of Isaiah compressed to be planted in you, <laughs> right, to bear fruit. Um, the form and the, and the content are completely in sync with each other. It's beautiful. Um, in Isaiah, up until this point, it seems as though Isaiah has been saying that the scattering of the seed is the scattering of God's people. Um, it talks about um, uh, though a tenth remain in it. Well, that's in Isaiah 6. We'll get to that tomorrow. It talks about um, the remnant of God's people in Isaiah 1. And then all throughout, you know, it keeps hinting at this remnant. The people, the people being a scattered seed as they go into exile. That's not entirely true. And Christ clarifies it here. Isaiah will clarify it later in the book. I've, in one of the like later, later chapters, he talks about how the seed is the word of God. Mm. It's not the people. It's the word planted in the people. Mm-hmm. He says, though the word of God goes out, it will not come back void. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the seed. Mm-hmm. The seed is what is sown in the heart. Mm-hmm. The, the vineyard, the body, the land, that's the people. Right? The seed is the logos it's the word of god it's the message of salvation that is planted in the heart and um and that i think is helpful going forward to see that christ makes it clear in there um we're coming up on the end of our time and it something occurred to me that i just want to share with you guys as i was sort of preparing for this um and this is an example of how symbolism just happens. Um, these patterns are inescapable. They're just, this is just how God set up reality to work. The pattern of the seed and of the, um, the burning bush going out and coming back into the holy place. Um, Isaiah's message of the coming Messiah is, is a seed of promise. It is, a, it is a mysterious and uh, enigmatic word of hope and judgment. And it's not clear how it's going to actually sprout and bear fruit. Right? It's just a sort of uh, compressed and small um, little message of Emmanuel, that God is coming. Um, but we don't know how it's going to unfold yet. Okay. The Old Testament is full of this. These little messages of, um, of the Logos without actually being able to say the Logos because we're not in the Greek world yet, right? So you have wisdom being a character and being somehow God in, in uh, Proverbs 8. You have the seed of promise in Genesis 3 who's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? This is all like the seed of promise just sort of slowly unfolding, right? The seed 
at the moment of exile, and this is, this is God at work through everything that the nations are doing. The nations are raging, kingdoms rising and falling. Israel is taken captive, goes into exile, and what goes out with them? The seed. It's scattered, right? The seed that was here in the law, the word of promise, goes out with the people. It's scattered. The seed always goes to Egypt. Remember that. The seed always goes to Egypt. There in the library of Alexandria, right? After the seed has been scattered, the Stoics come up with this idea of the Logos. This doesn't happen arbitrarily, right? This is after the seed has been scattered, right? They start talking about the Logos, the Logos, right? Then the Logos comes back to the promised land, and it comes back incarnate, I have a question. What were, what were the three sections you referred to in that in that chapter? This is just this is just me breaking it up. This is not from anything in particular. Oh, just okay. verses one through four is like the vision. Isaiah has his vision, mm-hmm. and then there's the atoning. Okay. Um, that goes through verses se- verse seven, and then there's the commission. Is the whole rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. So the, 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 even the way the Logos developed as an idea is a playing out of this pattern. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, when the leading thinker you know, that we know all of now is Philo of Alexandria. So, yeah. I mean, that was, that was yeah. the center of learning. The seed always is exiled to and grows in Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Out of son. Egypt I have called yeah. my son. Remember, yeah. And so they escape into Egypt. Yeah. The Coptic Christians take a lot of value and uh, encouragement in the fact that they were the first of the Gentile nations to receive Christ. So, um, yeah. We will finish up chapter 6 next week. Thank you all for your attention. Um, Yeah, we'll pick up next Sunday starting in verse 11.